As Paul said, our text comes from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we will bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth come, come, come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine bear, produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, there's little that we know about this phrase, other than the fact that just about everybody in here has probably heard it before. Maybe you've said it, maybe even taught it to your children. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. First appeared in print back in the 1800s, and even then when it was printed, it was quoted as some unknown source a common phrase that has been used for generations. And so what we do know about this phrase is that it's stood the test of time. It's been passed on from generation to generation, spread from person to person, that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The only problem with this statement is that it's not true. It's not true, is it? The truth is that words absolutely can hurt. And in fact, I think the reason why this statement has stood the test of time is not because of its truthfulness, but because it stands in defiance, in defiance for every little kid on the playground that's been called a name, who reminds themselves that no, no, words cannot hurt. Why? Because deep down they know they hurt a lot. You see, words are powerful. Words have the power to tear down, to destroy, the power to hurt. But words also have the power to build up, 
to heal, and to redeem. And so it should not surprise us this morning that in a letter that James is writing to help us to understand what it looks like to live the gospel out in everyday life, that he would address our speech, our words, those little things that come off the tip of our tongues every single day. Every one of us in this room use words to communicate. We talk all the time. Just now in our worship service, we have been speaking and singing words. Words are powerful. And James understood this well. So much so that he devotes more verses to a discussion on the power of words than he does to any other topic in the book of James. And so this morning, what I want you to see is this, that words are powerful. They're powerful enough to destroy, but they're also powerful enough to redeem through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this power in three ways. The first way is this, that words are too powerful for us to tame. They're too powerful for us to control. Second, I want you to see the power of words in this way, that words can be deadly. Words can be deadly. And third, I also want you to see that words have power in this way, that they bring redemption through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first way that words have power this morning, James tells us in verse 1, words are too powerful to tame. James begins by saying this, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now begins by issuing a warning to teachers towards those who teach and proclaim the word of God. That we who do that are going to be judged with greater scrutiny. Now by teachers he means preachers like me, sure. Pastors, missionaries, Sunday school teachers, maybe small group leaders. Honestly, even parents who teach their children. And we've all experienced this in some form of fashion, haven't we? That when we teach someone something, they are hanging on our every word, not just what we are saying in that moment, but what we're saying after that moment and what we do to see if we actually live out the thing that we are teaching. So James is issuing this warning. Don't just become a teacher, you're going to be judged. Why? Because you've been called to a ministry, a ministry of speech. And speaking can be incredibly dangerous. I want you to think about that moment in our service when we come to confess as a congregation. Truthfully, it's one of my favorite times in our service. It's a time that we recognize that everyone in this room, every pastor, every elder, every member, every person is in desperate need of the grace of the gospel. A time when we come together as a church and we confess that we are sinners and we need the gospel the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about what you confessed in that moment. Maybe it was lust, greed, pride, something you thought this past week. But I wonder how many of you confessed a sin of speech, something that you said. You see, I think we are quick to confess the sins that we do with our bodies, but we fail to recognize that so often our sin is actually with our speech as well. The tongue can be incredibly dangerous. And so it's interesting 
that of all the sins that we have, all the different ways that we sin, James says it this way, we stumble in many ways. We sin in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. In other words, the only person who is truly perfect is the one who's able to control their tongue. The one who's able to control their tongue. Or think about Bill mentioned Isaiah standing before the foot of God, seeing the holiness of who he is. He is so aware of his own depravity that he says, woe is me. And then what does he say? I am a man of unclean lips. He confesses the sin of his speech. Or that Peter, in describing Jesus as being sinless, recognizes that not only did Jesus not commit any sin with his body, but he goes on and says that there was no deceit found in his mouth. James is wanting us to recognize that there is a danger, a deep and powerful danger with our words because they are too powerful for us to even tame. To illustrate this, he uses two examples. Look with me at verse 3. James says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at these ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. So also, he says in verse 5, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so James gives us these two examples. First, horses. Wild, uncontrollable power. I don't know if any of you have ever ridden a horse before. I have not ridden many of them, but I remember going on a family horseback riding trip in Colorado, right? A bunch of novices on the back of horses, not a good situation. And of course, one of those horses takes off and there's a little kid on that horse and it's running wild. And what is everybody yelling? Pull back, pull back on the bit. This little tiny thing in the bit of the horse's mouth has the power to control what that horse does. Or you think of these giant ships, these giant ocean liners, and they are steered by a rudder that is one-sixtieth their size. And this is what James is trying to help us to understand about the tongue. He recognizes because it's small, because you speak words every day, you will overlook their significance. But you must understand something. The tongue is powerful. Words are powerful, and they are incredibly dangerous. Why? Because we didn't invent words. Words come from God. In Genesis 1, we're told about the story, the creation story, of how the world came into existence. How did God create the world? He spoke. Of all the ways he could have created the world, he used his speech, a word of his power. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Words are powerful. And we, being made in the image of God, have been given the power of words. The problem happens when our words become divorced from their godly origin. When we rob those words and we keep them for ourselves, when that happens, our words become incredibly dangerous and too much for us to control. 
The writer Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, recognized the power of the words of, as a writer. He said this, thanks to words, we've been able to rise above the brutes. And thanks to words, we have often sunk to the level of demons. This uncontrollable force, the power of the tongue, the power of the words. Words are powerful because God has given us those words. The problem is when we claim those words for ourselves, and they are no longer godly. The second way that I want you to understand that words are powerful is this, that words can be deadly. They can be deadly, James tells us. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. I want you to think about a forest fire. We've seen them all over the news. The greatest forest fire that Texas has ever known happened not too long ago, in 2011, in Bastrop County. It was a fire that burned for almost two months, consumed 35,000 acres of land, burned down and destroyed 1,700 houses, and killed two people. Do you know how it started? A little tiny spark from a downed power line. And this is what James is trying to help us to understand. Don't overlook the power, the deadly power of the tongue, James is saying. <laughs> Though it's small, like a little spark, it has the power to start an entire fire. A fire that consumes your entire life. A fire that could even stain your entire body. A fire, he says, that comes from hell itself. Those are strong words, aren't they? And you think, okay, James, is it really that big of a deal what we say? Is it really that big of a deal? Are you using hyperbole here? Do you really mean what you say? If you remember, the first words were spoken by God at creation. And the first sin was the sin of speech. The serpent came to Eve and said this, did God really say serpent used the power of words to call the very words of God into question. And a little idea with those words that God actually say entered into Eve's heart and mind and she found herself doubting God. And in her doubt, she sinned. It's the deadly power of words. The deadly power of words that now ever since has stained us, it's marked us so much so that James says that no human being can tame the tongue. You can't do it. You can't tame the tongue. Why? Because it's a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. These words, poison, deadly, deadly words of hatred, of bigotry, of defamation, lies and deceit, slander, gossip, Cursing, vulgarity, when a child bullies another child on a playground, when a spouse mutters something angrily under their breath, when a son blows up at their father, when a father blows up at his son. Words are powerful, they're destructive, they are a fire, they're deadly. Proverbs says it this way death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit of. This is more than just not cussing, not using foul language. 
You see, James is after something far deeper than that. He's after our hearts because he knows all too well what Jesus taught, that it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. It is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so this is why we cannot take our words for granted. They are flowing straight from our hearts. So it's not enough to just watch what you say so that you won't say anything wrong or rude or vulgar. But no, you must watch what you say and then you must ask yourself, why did I say that? Where did it come from? What broken place in my heart produced words that came out of my mouth? And so if you find yourself at times prone to gossip, perhaps it could be your need to belong, a deep sense of loneliness that would lead you there. It is those who are most afraid that sometimes use words of intimidation, anger that leads us to curse others and to curse God, shame that leads us to lie. When sin overwhelms our hearts, it pours and bubbles up and out of our mouths in the form of deadly words. This is why James says it's impossible to tame the tongue. Because ultimately it's impossible to tame the heart, isn't it? And so if we are going to redeem the words that come out of our mouth, we must first plead and beg God to do this. To redeem our hearts as well. The final thing I want you to see about the power of words this morning, that though, yes, they are deadly, they have the power to destroy, God has given us the power of words that we might praise and proclaim his name, the Redeemer. Look with me, verse 9. James writes this, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, he says, these things ought not to be so. James recognizes that there is a war in every Christian. A war of words. A battle between what we say, both good and bad. He recognizes that the reality for us, we are all living this. Even this morning. Probably, my guess, if you're like me, is this last week you probably said something you shouldn't have said. And yet with that same mouth, you are here this morning and you're using those same lips and that same tongue to praise God, to sing songs to him, to praise his name. James recognized that we have this duplicity of the tongue. And so this morning, if you are new with us, if you're new to the faith, if you are new to Christianity, if you're just checking it out and you're wondering, are Christians just a bunch of hypocrites? I'm going to tell you, The answer is yes, we are, we are. And James is calling our hypocrisy out. But then he utters this, and I want you to see it as good news. He's not wagging the finger. It's actually a promise. He says, brothers, sisters, this ought not to be so. If out of the heart the mouth speaks, then you, Christian, have been given a new heart in Jesus Christ. And where your heart has been redeemed, so also your words have been redeemed. You are a new creation. The old is gone. It has been put to death, and you have been raised to new life in Christ. You have been given a new heart that beats now for God. And everything 
God is calling to flow out of that redeemed heart is words of redemption. Words like encouragement and edification. Words that build another person up rather than tear them down. Words that point out the image of God in them and praises it rather than deny it. Words of love and respect, of honor, of dignity. Words that restore, words that redeem. So how do we do that? How do we speak words of redemption like that? James writes in verse 11, Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or grapevine produces figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Sounds a lot like the words of Jesus. For no good bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. God has called us to speak words of redemption. And the only way that we can do that is when our hearts have been completely consumed with the word. Jesus Christ. Today, I mentioned before, is Epiphany. It's a church holiday where we celebrate the coming of the Magi, the wise men, and the revelation that Jesus Christ has come down to us. And it is interesting that of all the gospel writers, John is the only one who describes the incarnation in this way. In John 1, verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. John not only refers to Jesus by his name, Jesus Christ, which means Savior, Messiah. Not only is Jesus also referred to by Emmanuel, by Matthew, which means God with us. But here, John is telling us, Jesus is the Word, capital W, Word. What does he mean by that? How is Jesus the Word? Now, to the Greeks, that might have meant this, that Jesus is the logos, it's word in Greek. And by that, what they meant was an ancient philosophy, that the word is truth. So Jesus is the truth. And certainly, we believe that Jesus is the truth. But what I want you to see this morning is I think John has something else in mind. John begins his gospel in this way. In the beginning was the word. What's he talking about? How did God create the world? By a word of his power. That same word that was there and created the world then came to Abraham and promised, I will be your God and you will be my people. That same word then came to Moses and delivered the Ten Commandments. That same word came through the mouth of the prophets and issued warnings of judgment. That same word came to Isaiah and promised that a Messiah, a Redeemer would come. That same word, John is telling us, has now taken on flesh, the powerful word of God itself, incarnate in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that word went to the cross and declared, it is finished. That word now speaks this over you and over me and all those who are in Christ. You are my son. You are my daughter. When your heart begins to be consumed, with the powerful word of God, Jesus Christ, then out of that heart, you will speak words of redemption. God has redeemed you, and he has called you by his own. 
He has called you not only to redemption, not only to salvation, but that you might now proclaim words of redemption. You are his ambassador. God has given you the power of words so that you might be equipped as his ambassadors to tell the world about what he has done so that now every tongue and tribe and can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us the word, Jesus Christ, and you've given us his word and the word of God. We thank you that though we are wayward, though we are rebellious, though our words so often are meant for evil, God, you have redeemed us, you've called us by name, and you've given us new words of life, of redemption. We pray, Father, that you would season our words with salt. Lord, that we might speak and proclaim the gospel that our Redeemer lives. And Father, may you use our mouths and the meditations of our heart to further spread your message of reconciliation to the world. We ask in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.